This is the basic blueprint of how to be ready for a great relationship. You become fully and freely yourself. But what some of us do is wait for the relationship to do that for us. Like if we could just find the, the perfect person or say just the right thing, everything would finally fit. And because doing this comes from a place full of holes, basically, big undeveloped parts of your identity and your happiness, I call this like trying to get your, get your identity from somebody else, emotional spackle. You know spackle, it's that paste that you rub onto old nail holes on the wall before you paint it. So emotional spackle. In a relationship, you try to fill in what's missing in the other person for you and the way they feel about you in your own mind. And in this way, you craft a public image of your relationship. Like you tell yourself, it's fine, it's fine. I don't see any holes and you show everybody else. See, it's great. So I wanna talk about that. My letter today is from a woman I'll call Amy and she writes, Dear crappy childhood fairy, five years ago, I got out of a relationship with a man uh, who I'll call Luke, who I had dated for seven years. It ultimately ended because he cheated and gaslit me for six months leading up to my discovery of what happened. But that was just the tipping point on the iceberg. <laughs> That's a good mixed metaphor, tipping point on the iceberg. I had known that I liked the same gender since I was 11, but was in the closet. When he pursued me hard at age 17, I dated him because I had never been in a relationship before. I was young and dumb. It's important to note that from the age of 11 to this point, and truthfully for most of the relationship with him, I had been limerent for a female classmate. I'm certain it was mutual, but because we were both in the closet, I never pursued it. Long story short, my relationship with Luke ended up being codependent, but the physical aspect was always difficult on my end, and the secretive limerent behavior had led to other toxic problems within the relationship. He knew I liked women, but didn't take it seriously. When that relationship ended, I was hurt by his actions, but I can't say I didn't deserve it. I did a lot of self-work to redefine my identity without him and work on my sense of empathy and reflect on the relationship and can say I fully moved on by about four years ago. I wasn't limerent and I was available for love. <laughs> Hear what you're saying. Okay. I finally started dating again a couple years ago when I was 28. Um, and this is where I'm taking out the fairy pencil to start circling things I want to come back to on a second reading. But let's go all the way through Amy's letter and see what she's going through, and I'll see if I can help. Okay. She says, um, at age 28, a couple years ago, she met a woman on an online dating app. She says, we'd been talking for a few weeks, and I was excited to tell my friends about this journey, so I built her into my coming out story. She was exactly my type physically. I, I didn't know what I was looking for personality-wise at the time besides down-to-earth. I ended up very attracted to her blunt demeanor, her sarcastic dry humor, and bonded over our love for lesbian pop culture, TV shows, games, etc. And we had talked every day for six weeks, and the communication was easy and banterful. I love that word, banterful. <laughs> but admittedly, I... I felt she had some walls up when it came to deeper topics um, with the use of deflective sarcasm. Mm -hmm. 
Her last relationship had ended two years ago, but the way she talked about her ex gave me the sense that she was not fully over her. There was a lot of resentment from being cheated on, something I deeply related to but didn't tell her about. We had only gone on a few dates. Circled that. <laughs> but the feeling of being with her in person was nothing I ever felt before. Cuddling with her to a movie felt more intimate than anything physical in my last relationship. I told her I wanted to kiss her on the last date, and she was aggressive and made me feel desired. And then I'm not sure what happened. She texted me the next morning, but the conversation the following week felt cold. I suggested dates to meet up again, twice. But she gave some excuses for it without proposing another concrete meeting. Yet she still initiated texting when I gave her some space. I got anxious, and in wanting to assert boundaries, I texted her, hold on, assert boundaries? I texted her, hey, when do you think I'll see you next? To be honest, She's quoting herself, sending the text. I want to see the girl I'm dating more than once every week or two. I don't want to waste both our times if we're incompatible in that regard. She said, then you're probably right. We're not a good match. I'm someone that needs a lot of alone time until I'm comfortable with a person. It was gut-wrenching, the feeling, but I thought I would move on quickly given the short time frame. Almost immediately, I started to regret the ultimatum. After stewing on it, I texted her a week later that I missed talking to her. No response. Then eight months later, I tried to say hi, that I enjoyed our last date. This is eight months later, and wanted to see how she was doing. No response. At that point, I get it. She doesn't like me. I went on multiple other dates and even had a four-month relationship. But it's been two years, and every day, I'm still plagued by thoughts of her, the kiss, how she made me feel, and how no one can compare to her. I want to apologize to her for jumping to conclusions when she might have just been busy. But I also know there's no point. I'm torturing myself by checking up on her social media, even though she rarely posts. Now I deeply believe I'll never find anyone like her again. The thoughts are consuming and have affected my passion for work and other aspects of my life. Logically, I know it's ridiculous to be this hung up over someone I briefly dated. How do I move on? P.S., says Amy, my parents divorced when I was one. There it is. And my father was never really in my life. There it is. But, I, but it had never bothered me. My mom and grandparents raised me, and I don't think I was neglected as a child. If anything, I've found my mother overbearing since high school. However, I had a lot of social anxiety growing up and few friends. It wasn't until college that I came out of my shell. Okay. Amy, I got gotcha. you. All right. Let's go through what you told me. All right, so you always knew that you were into women, and for, what, for reasons that are pretty easy to understand, you didn't feel like you could go in that direction, and you went ahead and had a relationship with a man for seven years, and you weren't into it physically, but there's something, you know, when you say, oh, well, you know, my parents divorced early and my dad wasn't in my life and you were raised properly by your mom and grandparents. That's great. But I see an attachment wound here. There's a lot of behaviors that are like an attachment wound where you feel like um, you have to stay in a relationship you're not into for seven years. Even if you weren't clear yet what the, you know, the main reason was is that, you know, you're into women. Um, to stay there. You say the relationship ended up being codependent, and I'm not sure what you mean by that, because what you described was just that 
oh, he cheated and he, you know, you didn't find out about it for a long time. It sounds like you guys were both sort of in this relationship for convenience, but your hearts were elsewhere. When it ended, you were hurt by his actions, but you can't say that you didn't deserve it. Yeah, because you were not into it. And it sounds like he wasn't either. And that's, you know, sometimes when one person can't really deal with intimacy, the perfect match is someone who also can't deal with intimacy. And so you had that. All right. You have your experience with that. Lesson learned. So you did a lot of self-work to redefine your identity without him and work on your sense of empathy and reflect on the relationship. And that's all great. Very good. And you fully moved on and you weren't limerent and you were available for love. Okay, great. All right. Then the earthquake happens. Finally, you get to have a date with a woman. <laughs> Finally, that happens. At the age of 28, you met her on a dating app and you were talking for a few weeks and you couldn't wait to tell your friends about the journey. Okay, this is where I started circling. You were excited about coming out. You were very excited about somebody you knew online, and so you built her into your coming out story. And I'm not sure literally what you mean by that, but I know for some people, that's like a formal story that is shared online with a lot of people about a special person and the experience and how it helped you, right? And it can be like this amazingly, you know, powerful, liberating thing for people to be themselves and share that self with other people. But what struck me is that this was somebody you barely knew. And so it might be, of course, it's part of your coming out story because it's the first time you dated a woman. So of course, it's part of it. But I'm just wondering, like, did you put her online and sort of you know, share this relationship that was barely getting off the ground. I just feel like this is why I started this video by talking about emotional spackle, that you had a need, like, I just keep sensing you have this attachment wound. You had a need to feel like this was all locked up. This was the one, everything's great. You had it so bad that you couldn't see that three weeks in of talking online, it may not be time to share somebody else's identity and make a big story about how together you are. And um, so I, I, again, I didn't see exactly what you said about that, but okay, so she was your type physically. You didn't know what you were looking for personality-wise. That's another sign of somebody who is not very, um, has an attachment wound and hasn't really gotten close to people and ha doesn't know herself very well. So that you don't know what you're looking for personality-wise. I'm gonna recommend to you, you know, throughout this whole thing, it's time for you to get really clear what is a suitable person for you. And you might be flexible about some personality traits, but there's going to be some bottom lines for you. Like you want them to be emotionally available. You want them to be open to seeing you quite a bit early in the relationship. I'm going to talk to you about why maybe it's better that you don't get your wish on that, but I'll, let me get there. Okay. Um, you knew you wanted down to earth. You know, that's not saying very much. When I finally changed the way that I dated, because my attachment wound was just like ruining everything every time, I probably wrote down about 200 things. Some of them were like must have, some of them were nice to have, some of them were, you know, just like, eh, you know, I kind of like it, but I can live without it. I, I really spent a lot of time and then, and then, and when I did meet my now husband, I wasn't tempted to crap fit, to fit myself to whoever he happened to be, which I had done with everybody before. There are certain deal breakers. They have to be really into me and excited about me <laughs> as much as I am about them. And that's a deal breaker if they can't, if they're not that person. And it's really good to be clear with yourself 
that if somebody's not into you, they have let you down. It's, you know, you, you'll turn into yourself and go, oh, I, what did I do wrong? And, but the problem is they don't have to give you what it is you must have, right? So I want you to take back your power and the, the, you as the center of your dating universe and just be like, I need somebody who, who's really into me. And then anybody who doesn't meet that standard, you don't date them. I know it's easier said than done. Believe me, I know. But that's the, that's the art of it, all right? That's how you stop having relationships that tear you apart, that erode your self-esteem, that consume years of your life, and you stay open to a relationship where there's a great deal of love going two ways, okay? All right, then, um, so she was your type physically, um, and you ended up very attracted to her blunt demeanor, her dry, sarcastic humor, and you bonded over love for lesbian pop culture. You talked every day for six weeks, and it was easy, and there was banter, which is, um, you know, like that can happen online sometimes, and it's nice, but it doesn't mean it translates into in-person. And it seems like, mm, there it is. She sounds like somebody who has... Well, either maybe she just wasn't into you. Maybe meeting you in person, she wasn't feeling it. Okay, I'm sure you were worried about that. And that seems distinctly possible. There's nothing wrong with her. You know, it's just, you know, like on the online level, it was great. This is really normal. It's so common. In fact, most relationships, even if they're fun online, will break down in person. It's such a deep combination of factors that make us continue to fall in love with somebody, right? So that's what dating needs to be, is a question. Dating is a question, like, is this person for me? And dates, the purpose of them is to find out incrementally, like, are they? Does their personality feel good to you? Do you feel good about yourself in this relationship? And I have some other signs that help indicate that a relationship is got legs to it, if you know what I mean. And among them are, do you become a better version of yourself as a result? And you simply cannot determine that in six weeks or three months. Like this takes time. And so for anybody with attachment wounds, I just really recommend, you can go to my dating course. It's all laid out there, structured dating. I teach you how to stop choosing the people who aren't into you and set up your life so that you are open for business to date people who are into you. And with some healing inside, that can actually be attractive to you. And I know, I know for all the people who end up with unavailable people, like the problem is attraction. There's this eroticization of abandonment that makes us fall in love harder when people are pulling away from us, which is a maladaptation. It's not a good thing. And um, you can overcome it, but it's a deep thing to heal. And it, it's going to require your time and attention. Okay, so... So then you say, admittedly, she had some walls up when it came to deeper topics and she would use sarcasm. So yeah, maybe she didn't want something as deep as you did. Her last re relationship ended two years before and the way she talked about her ex gave you the sense that it wasn't really over. And that's always possible. That's why we got to slowly get to know people and see if they're actually emotionally available. And she wasn't. So there was a lot of resentment from you because you had been cheated on something that you deeply, oh, she was resentful about getting cheated on and you related, but you didn't tell her about it, which early on, that's fine. You know, we had only gone on a few dates, but the feeling of being with her in person was nothing I ever felt before. Cuddling to a movie was more intimate than anything you'd ever had with this boyfriend of the past. And, you know, well, first of all, it sounds like you're, you have a little bit of a tendency towards limerence. And so when you, your instincts know you can't really have somebody, 
but you're into them, then it will feel, it'll feel like utter intimacy to you. But I just want to say like your perception is playing tricks. It's a, I guess you could call it intimacy. It's intimacy with your trauma, but it's not the kind of intimacy where you're really close to each other. You care about each other. You really know each other. You're there through thick and thin. Like that's really what intimacy is. And, um, but then there's factor two, she was a woman, you know, so I would just expect given that that's really, that's really what you're into, that it would have like lit up your whole experience into technicolor from what you had experienced before. So how exciting is that? Um, and then you're not sure what happened. She texted you the next morning, but then she started giving you the cold shoulder and and then here's where you got into the sort of managing and controlling reality where you were pretending that you were just setting boundaries or just thinking about her, but this was very dishonest. I'm going to call you on this because I want to help you not go into this behavior next time. When you're hurt because somebody you feel very close to and you're interested in is pushing you back, you can express it under certain circumstances, but what I do not recommend is texting them again and again. So she gave some excuses for um, not meeting up with you as you were asking her, and she would, didn't propose another concrete meeting. So that is the brush off. And people don't want to hurt you, and that's why they're not being direct with you and going, you know what, I just realized after spending the night with you, eh, I'm not into it. Nobody wants to say that, or no kind person, and she may be very kind and good, and she doesn't want to say that and hurt you, so she's saying what people say, right? Just like, oh, well, there's a lot going on. And then she did text you again when you gave her some space. Aha, that's what I would have thought would happen. You must give people space. If you text once and they don't reply, you, you know, first of all, that's not a great sign. And if a few days go by, it's really not a great sign. If you've slept with somebody, that's pretty uncaring. So, you know, things are starting to look grim when somebody doesn't get back to you. But then if they do, you can assess the situation. But I really recommend you do not repeatedly text somebody. So of course you got anxious because again, I think you have an attachment wound going on. And in wanting to assert boundaries, you texted, hey, okay, I'm calling you out. That's not a boundary. That's a attempt to manipulate and control. And I'm being very direct with you because I think you have a lot going on with your mental health and your you know, I, I just want to tell you the truth. Like what you did there was not a good thing for a relationship that was just hanging in the balance. Maybe there was going to be another date. So I'm not blaming you because the fact is if something's right, then you being anxious and being kind of pushy isn't going to ruin it. All right. And somebody being a little bit sarcastic and avoidant isn't going to ruin it. Like if the feeling is there, it's going to get its chance to, you know, to be a relationship and see what happens. But this fell apart early. And so I'm just advising you to really be thoughtful about etiquette on dating is um, it's not a boundary to tell somebody that they have to see you a lot more often or you're going to dump them. That might be true if you're in a longer term relationship that you could assess it and say, this isn't what I want it to be. But I would just say, this looks like pure attachment wound thinking right there that after this very short time and one night together, you're just like, it has to be this certain way. What you can do, if you really have that need and that requirement, you get to have that, but just you don't spend nights with people until there's a real demonstrated 
um, fact and truth and expression and words and clarity that they are into you, that they want this to go farther and they want to spend time with you. So many of us, and especially, you know, we're like living in a culture where it's normal, where people will just sort of like sleep together fairly early. And then those of us with attachment wounds will play the role of somebody who's like, I'm so cool about this. I expect nothing, but actually we're not capable of producing that cool girl inside. You know, just the anxiety starts and we're like, you know, please fix this feeling for me. I can't handle that you're not calling. And I know you know on some level that your pursuit and your pressure for her to fix your feelings there by calling when she wasn't ready. I know you know that that was that was a problem, that that would push her away. But again, it wouldn't have pushed her away if she was fundamentally into you. So don't worry, don't worry. You know, we can only be ourselves. And the only person that anybody's ever gonna fall in love with is your actual self. So it's okay that you bring these kind of, you know, dents and dings and kind of quirks into the relationship, that you have sensitivities, that you're insecure about things. It's okay, but you're just gonna have a better ride and you're gonna have, you're going to have a clearer mind to be able to spot like who's a good potential partner and have a chance to, you know, enjoy life together and go on some dates and hang out. If you can kind of stay inside your hula hoop and not try to make other people be something. What dating is, is it's your opportunity to behold, what has this person got to offer me? Let's see how they feel. And as my mentor told me when I was first dating my husband, let information come to you. I was so tempted to be like, hey, hey, are we going to see each other this week? I'm just like, I'd be anxious. You know, my kids were going to be at their dad's and I, I just really wanted to have a weekend plan. <laughs> and I too would come up with things that I thought sounded a little better than the truth, which is like, I'm anxious because I want to see you. And I think maybe you don't like me. That was the truth, right? So I'd come up with stuff. And so I just think you saying you were trying to set a boundary, you expressed a preference, you expressed a desire. Your boundary is where you walk away from the relationship. So you did and you regretted that ultimatum. And the reason is it's not really how you felt. And that's why I said it was a manipulation. And you sure wouldn't be the first of us to resort to pretending that you have these high standards that you won't put up with it and then going, oh, no, they went away and then going, that's OK, I'll abandon my standards and go back. I don't think it was quite your standard. I think, you know, it was too soon for you to, you know, early dating, you just like hang out, just see what happens. And it's really, you know, for a person with attachment wounds, if you can avoid sex, it will allow you a lot more space and time to be able to stay alert, to navigate without your attachment wound coming on and going attach. That's, that's what we do. We, we attach instantly to people we barely know. And the, you know, that you did it for seven years before you attached and then you couldn't leave, probably because you were afraid of the abandonment melange that comes up, that intense, terrible feeling. So a person with complex PTSD who has been abandoned, and you were, you were abandoned by your dad when you were one, and I assure you it matters. You had that happen, and so this wound comes out, and if you don't learn to like be very real with yourself about it, it can chase you all your life. It can chase away everybody who tries to love you. It can chase you away from the quiet awareness of discovering how somebody feels about you, thinking, I've got to make this work. I've got to make this work. It's a painful place to be, and it's not, it's not something that healthy people are that attracted to. You can do this, all right? Come to the dating course. I lay it all out in detail. And uh, there's always a link down below in the description section if you want to check that out. So you said, um, 
Then eight months later, you texted her again. Hi, I enjoyed our last date. I want to see how you're doing. So that's again, that sounds, okay, I'm going to be hard on you. It sounds a bit, a bit crazy, right? Because she knows and you know that she ghosted you and you just saying, hey, you know, just, that was so great. I just wanted to know how you're doing. You're faking, like you think you can trick her into thinking like everything's breezy and maybe you can, you know, get her back. And I just would say, if you want her back, you just be direct. It, it doesn't sound like it's going anywhere, but don't even think of making shit up about how you feel and why you're getting back, back in touch after, after eight months. And I've been there and I've done it and I, it doesn't, you know, it just confuses matters because then when you get rejected, you know, it, it, you don't know, like, is it because of how, where I, how I really feel? Or let's say you did reconnect and come back together. Is it because it was a false premise that you were promising that you were cool girl? And, you know, I'm not all hurt and trying to sort out my life here and feeling limerent on you. I'm just, you know, just wondering how you are because I'm so nice. <laughs> I'm not making fun of you. I'm making fun of me. I just know this like the back of my hand. Things got better for me when I got just like brutally honest with myself, not brutal with other people, but rigorously honest with other people. And one of the things, this is not what you're talking about, but like when I had done enough of this kind of thing, I was just like, I don't want to date anybody else who doesn't want children. I was in my thirties. I was totally clear. I wanted children and I would just put it right out there. I want to have kids. Do you want to have kids? And I'm, you know, not like do you want to have kids right now? But I was just, I wouldn't even go out with anybody unless that was their agenda too. That was a really smart thing I did. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't organize everything in the perfect order and all nice and everything, but I do have kids and I'm really glad because that's, that was what I wanted. And, um, and their dad did too. And we just didn't want each other. <laughs> uh, it's worked out now. We each have, we each have a good spouse and that's what I mean is that things can work out in the end, you know, uh, love wins in the end. If you can hang in there and keep being honest, keep being, um, kind, keep being attentive to reality and deal with that attachment wound. That attachment wound can take you out for the rest of your life, really. And I know that when we put this video out there, there will be a lot of older folks who will say it's too late for me. You know, I blew it. And, um, you know, you can't just like heal something and everything changes. And I'm just going to say, I don't know, maybe you can, maybe you can't, but everything good depends on you overcoming that thing where you have to become some fake version of yourself because you think it will help you get your needs met. At this stage, you're an adult and that, that is never what the case is, unless you're like hiding from, I don't know, I'm just thinking of people who had to hide from tyrants and things in history. Yeah, say whatever you have to say, but that's not what this is. This is falling in love. All right. You can do this. Yeah. You deeply believe you'll never find anyone like her again. I hope you don't because she's not into you. I want you to find somebody who is into you, who's not like her at all. That sarcasm you saw, like it might've been entertaining, but it really sucked when she couldn't be real or deep with you about anything. So, eh. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.